Happy New Year's, everyone. I know that this is probably March, April, May, whenever people are hearing this, but I am sitting here in Delaware, Ohio, the day at the ending of 2022, about to go into 2023, and I'm sitting here having a blast and enjoying some good conversation, some peppermint tea, and seeing where things go. So to introduce everything, as you all know, my name is Cade Curtis, your tour guide on this lovely adventure that I like to call learning from friends. And before we dive into our episode, as those continual listeners know, that we do my mom's quote of the day. Mom, take it away. Today's quote is from Mary Lou Retton. A trophy carries dust. Memories last forever. Thanks, mom. Always a pleasure to have your quotes that add in. It's good inspiration, good reminder about life in general, just sitting and thinking. So thanks as always, mom. Today, my friend Derek Reinrich and I are sitting here and we're going to be discussing the magic that comes from reading about events and places in history and then traveling there to these locations to soak in these moments where these events took place, whether it is local, like around the corner, or international, where you're having to leave your country or kind of your comfort space. It's life-changing because it really it changes your perspective about things. When you see something in person that you've read about or learned about in school, it becomes more of a reality. And it really helps learn history and understand it in a way that is kinesthetic learning, that putting your hands on it physically and learning it. So that's really what we're going to hit in today, that magic that comes from reading and visiting these places. That being said, we are not experts. Again, we're just enthusiasts. We enjoy doing these things and visiting these places and reading these books. We encourage you to go out and do this yourself. Find your own passion to it. So let's get on and enjoy this podcast and this lovely conversation we're getting to have here. Derek, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. It's, it's again, it's a pleasure. We get to, this is what, year number four of doing this, of coming and doing New Year's. We missed two years because of COVID, but we did digital where we sat and kind of talked. So this yeah. is kind of a, a nice tradition that kind of pops up here. Yes, for sure. And you're one of those individuals that got me going back into podcasts a little bit further. So it's kind of a full circle <laughs> yeah. there. But so Derek, true. how did we meet? Like, how do we know each other? What, what is, how did this become to be? Well, in March of 2015, my wife and I were driving back up from Florida to Ohio and where we live. And we took a break from the long drive at your place in the Atlanta area. And our wives grew up together. So that's how we made the connection. Yeah, it was pretty cool thinking about that. And my first memory was the high school reunion. I think it was the 10 year or 15 year high school reunion for Chagrin Falls. And we are at a restaurant. And we, everybody, like Katie and all of them are going around and visiting people. And we were kind of just stuck there. We were the boyfriends. <laughs> I was sitting there kind of chilling. I do remember that. Now so yeah, each, but yeah, each person has their own different memory and that's, yeah. but we hit it off pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. Cause you were talking about cars and history stuff and it was just like, whoa, cool. Chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That, that's why we all have our own different personalities. And that's why I feel like we clicked pretty quickly. Yep. Now the audience has no clue who Derek is. Can you give us like, if I was going to look up your name on Wikipedia and write something about you, what would be a quick summary on who is Derek Weinrich? Yeah, sure. I'm from 
Worthington, Ohio, which is a Columbus suburb, and I still live in the area here. Delaware is not far away. I have a history degree from Otterbein University, which is a private school near here, which is where I met my wife. And we have two small children now, three and five. Career-wise, I'm a sales agent in financial services, done this five years now. And interest-wise and hobbies, I have to say I have broad interest Aside from exploring history, I uh, love to travel, been all around the Eastern USA and Canada, and also been over to Italy and Austria, and also big car enthusiasts. So I got my first part-time job at 18 when I was in college, saved up essentially all my money for two and a half years and bought a 2003 Nissan 350Z with all my own money. I was 20 years old at the time. It was incredible to have a car like that at that age. I still have it 13 years later. At 24, I bought a BMW 7 Series from the golden age of BMW. It's 1997. Still have it as well. And it's become my daily driver now that I have kids. And I've done all the wrenching on them myself. And 13 years now, I've gotten quite handy with doing that. Um, <laughs> into car detailing as well as a hobby, although I haven't been able to do as much of that with, with little kids. That takes up a lot of time. It does. <laughs> It does. And read a lot of nonfiction, history in general, sometimes some classic fiction, been into Sherlock Holmes lately. And I'm a violinist. I've played since I was eight, played through college, still play as a hobby now. I listen to a lot of classical music, been on a plant-based diet, passionate about that for nine years now. Big fan of the outdoors, hiking, camping, mountain biking. So I guess, yeah, i Broad interests that can't be contained in one or two areas. And what he doesn't tell you, he likes sipping pina coladas and getting caught in the rain too. So, you know, good <laughs> musical reference there. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's fun stuff. It gives a good connection to kind of paint some image of who is Derek before we get into this kind of stuff. Because again, it starts out as those little things about us create who we are as an individual. And seeing behind that door is important. Before you get to kind of know somebody, you can kind of connect with them in that little way. So thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. Now we're going to focus it on the history portions here. That's what the meat of this podcast is. When did you start to discover your enjoyment for history? I have to say I never was interested in it when I was younger at all. I thought it was pretty dull and pointless until my 16th birthday, I got a present from my parents, Civilization Three, which is a computer game. And in that game, you play a civilization and you're competing against other civilizations. And it starts out in the ancient world, eventually goes through the Middle Ages, the Industrial Age, the modern era, and into the future age. And everything changes along the way. So the ancient spearmen become pikemen and riflemen and tanks. And you're kind of competing against the other civilizations in the world. And But it's not just military, you're building cultural institutions and wonders of the world. You're kind of racing to, you know, accomplish those things and other landmark inventions and breakthroughs as well. And it had what it called the Civilopedia, where you can read while you're playing about the real things, uh, you know, what's going on in the game. And it also, in the expansion pack, had a conquest mode where you enter a real historical, what they call conquest. So for example, World War II in the Pacific, Give me an idea about what it was, the, the Americans and the Allies were up against in the Pacific. And it was very, very difficult to succeed in that uh, theater. 
Uh, Napoleonic Europe was another one. It, it just put you in those moments and you controlled everything that was going on. So that's what got me hooked. And ended up taking AP, European history, my senior year, and then ended up studying it in college as well. That's pretty cool to think that a video game could be able to take you to that next level. And it was a gift that kind of came to you. And that drew you into history and, and blossomed out because there's so many different ways of types of learning and that connected with you. It could have been a teacher. It could have been the video game. It could have been a book. You never know what's going to be exposed to you that captures your attention. And some people it's early, some people it's later. And it got you at 16 in your teenage years and getting you a teenager to connect into a subject at that time, especially 16, because you have so many other things going on in your mind. That's huge. That's a major breakthrough there. Now, are there any influential people in your life that kind of led a little bit more to your joy within history? Y yes. My father, he would always be talking about history when we were growing up. Whatever subject we were on, he would always be explaining how it happened or how it got to be the way it is. And, you know, going through that growing up, I didn't realize until I was an adult that everybody's dad didn't do that. And he still does today. So yeah, that that's probably the biggest influence for sure. And you got lucky growing up as well. I say lucky because everybody's lucky to have a good family inside their household and a good person to look up to. Was he also gave you that love for classical music as well, wasn't it? Yes, that's exactly right. And violin as well. He started teaching me violin at eight. And then of course I played through school and everything. But yep, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, this, and that within a history within itself of the violin and how that impacts music within history, because that's one thing that I love reading into is music and how that affects from the culture and time periods. Because I love counterculture from the 1920s up until the 1980s and 90s. That was my kind of like big thing within history that I love reading about. So everyone has their own little stuff. And I spent yesterday at the Rock Hall. Every time I come up to Cleveland to visit my wife's family, I go because that's just a passion. It's a joy. And I yeah. get to go once a year. You know? That's neat. So what you said earlier that you went to Otterbein University. Can you tell us like a little bit about your educational background? Yeah. So I have a degree in history from Otterbein and it, it focused mostly on historiography. So a lot of people, when I say I have a degree in history, they're thinking about names and dates, what they learned in elementary school, but it's really quite a bit different. Historiography was mostly what it was about, which means the study of history and how using primary sources is the overarching view of how we view a civilization or an event or a time period. Is that is that justified by the primary sources or do we need to challenge that assertion and using persuasive argument and writing challenge the, the belief? For example, one of the historiography projects I did was on the Old Norse, the Vikings, you know, were they just raiders or were they also settlers and, and more constructive and peaceable? So that's really a lot of what I did at Otterbein. So is this a, this was your four-year degree to be able to go through as a master's degree or just a four-year bachelor's? Four-year bachelor's. I was planning on going to law school and then realized how much more student loan it has, how much more student loan debt it would be, and decided against it and decided to go the business route instead. Cool. Yeah, that's that's the thing at the end of the day when you look at all these other degrees. Is wow, how much college debt am I pulling up here? Really, kind of where that's going in that direction. So you had to do a what they call like a graduation project. 
Is that where you used the the Vikings as kind of like your final almost dissertation, I was going to call it? That was my junior year, actually. Senior year, the big project was on the founding of the United States. Was the founding of the United States all based on Christian doctrine? Is Was the United States founded as a Christian nation? And my persuasive argument was that it wasn't. Wow, that's extremely fascinating. And I bet you could probably talk for hours about that because of that is a huge, massive topic. And I'm sure that paper was, what, about 30,000 pages long? It took me longer than any other academic project I've ever done in my life <laughs> over many, many, many weeks. It ended up being 25 pages, but when you're writing history, everything has to be from a primary source. Yep. So it, I find that when writing history, it ends up taking a lot longer to write a lot less than any other topic. Then I'm sure your bibliography was like eight pages long in itself. Yeah, I think it might have been like six or eight pages, yeah. yeah. It takes a lot when you had to source every little thing there. Everything you say, yeah. And now that's moved transition. You've graduated college. And now, since college, how have you began to approach history for yourself? After college, I took a little bit of a break. Wasn't doing a whole lot of reading for a year or two. And then realize that the nice thing about being an adult is I don't have to read titles assigned by some teacher or professor. That's no true. Offense. Yeah, no, it's all good, not taken. <laughs> and I can read whatever I want. So my advice is find what interests you and what you're curious about and go from there. And then while you're reading, you're going to come across something you're, you read about, it, whether it's an event or another book that's cited or mentioned or a diary or something, and then add that to your reading list and go from there and continue. You'll expound at you know, an exponential amount. You'll find so many things to read, it'll be endless. And that's where I'm at. I've got a long list of, of reading to explore, and it's exciting to me. Are you more of an audiobook person? Or are you more of like physically holding it kind of deal? I get, now that I have kids, I get through a lot more on audio CDs and audiobooks. But there are quite a few titles that are not available on audio. That's true. Get most of the stuff from the library. Audible has a few things that are not available on the library or anywhere else, but there's some things that are print only, and I do have a harder time getting through those, but uh, they're great as well. Being able to find time to read and being able to find time to actually get through the process of reading a book or being able to do highlights or finding time between, I listen to a lot of my books while driving. I listen to a lot of books, a lot of podcasts that way. And working out, I'll pop in something as well. Some people are like jamming out to like heavy metal. I'm like, I got an audio book in. I'm just, you know, kind of chilling. Reading a book may take me three minutes to read one page where it may take someone a minute to read it. And I may have to read it three or four times in order to fully comprehend what it actually said. And so having the audiobook makes like actually connects me a little bit better to be able to do it. And sometimes I'll read along with the audiobook in order to kind of keep up that speed. So it's amazing that we have these options to do so. Yes. And I, I, I do mostly audiobooks as well, especially when I was driving before I started working at home the last couple of years. And I do retain things better and comprehend things better. But also, anytime you're getting an audiobook, I always recommend for your listeners out there, get the print version as well, even if you're not going to read it, because there are pictures in there True. that you are going to completely miss out on. And it doesn't mention that there are pictures in the audiobook. 
and if you get the opportunity to listen to the author reading it yes that's, that's the, best. the best ones right there uh, there's Definitely. like there's author later we're going to talk about that i love whenever he reads his books and so i'll save that for a little bit that's, that's kind of down the line here now what are your passions when it comes to reading about and learning about history now that you're becoming older so several fold, mostly twofold books that unfold the events as if you're there, as if you're bearing witness to the episodes and the events that the book relates. That can just leave me starstruck as it's fascinating to me compared to like a Wikipedia article or something like that. That's like, oh, so dull. Like, oh, nothing happened here. But it's the same, you know, event being described. Secondly, going to the historical sites that mean something to you. And, and it really is the, the ones that mean something to you. Now, not all books are like this, but find the ones that are. And of course, find, pick topics that you're interested in and fascinated by. Yeah, having the key thing there is pick topics that you're fascinated and curious by. That is the hugest deal is staying curious. And whenever you find one thing that excites you, it'll lead to another because there's so many doors that can open up within a book because you hear a name, you hear a an event that may have connected over in another location that relates to it. And there's the cause and effect that happens on the line. It's just, it's so exciting whenever you get into history because of it's still happening every second that goes by and everybody lives so many different lives like there's i'm going to suggest i'm not going to say the definition here this is my homework i'm going to give some of you people that are out there look up the word sonder s-o-n-d-e-r look up the word onism o-n-i-s-m look those two words up and, and, and come back and think about history in a different perspective when it comes to that way it's just my little fun thing out there so books what are some books that have really gotten you so excited over the years? Well, my favorite history author is David McCullough, and his book, 1776, is probably my favorite example, which is on the Revolutionary War. John Adams as well, which doesn't just cover his biography, but also really all the events of the Continental Congress and the political decisions around leading up to independence and through the war. The Wright Brothers, another great example. Greater Journey, he also wrote that. Uh, another author, Eric Larson. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> books, yep. And his books, I would describe as very lucid. They read like fiction. They read like a novel. Oh, yeah. And to the point where Devil in the White City, I was reading it and I thought it was historical fiction. And realized a quarter of the way through, it's not. 100% of it is nonfiction. It's accurate. How does he know what the temperature was that day? How does he know when he stepped outside that it was hot? It was because there was recording somewhere of what the temperature was that morning in that city, for example. Richard Zacks, another one, The Pirate Coast, and recently read, it was on the war of with Tripoli, United States War against Tripoli in 1805-1806, another great example. Yeah, the Eric Larson, anytime he comes out with a book, I am, I'm on it. I'm on the wait list because he reads a lot of his own books. That's the cool thing is he'll sit back and he'll read it. And with something that you don't get in the book that you can get with the audiobook when the author reads it is they may give a different inflection, what they intended that person to sound like or 
intended yes. for that event to kind of be. And sometimes they'll add in a couple little extra things that you may not get in the book. Like you get in the books, you get the images, but you may get something that they may throw in there that like, wait right. a second, that's not there in the book. If I'm reading along to it, that, that pops up there. And you got to go actually see him once, wasn't I it? I did get to see his author talk in Westerville before the pandemic, yeah, a couple of years ago. And it was neat. I filled up a notebook of how to write history from his perspective. And maybe one day down the road, I will just do that. It's true. And that's an impactful person that brought you back into certain things of history. Like I, I will admit, I can't remember which is the one, the talking about electricity. It's in Marconi. Um, yes. Guglielmo Marconi. Yeah. Love that one. Yeah. That was so cool to be able to, because that's something that I didn't know a ton about, but I was able to capture into it. I was like, oh man, I'm going to read some more about this now because it was an author that connected to me. And that was a fun one that I was starting to read that book and whenever we came up here and we were talking about a couple different things uh, that came up, Eric Larson did. I'm like, oh, I, I just read that with a book club. Yeah. And then you said, oh yeah, I'm reading that. L read this one. This is another one. And that's always been one of our little conversations yeah. that pops up is what's the new book that's out there right now? If you're listening, Eric Larson, we're waiting for the next one. Just say <laughs> we're waiting. <laughs> so how does this translate? from you're reading the book, you're feeling those kind of moments to being actually traveling to these historic sites. I'm gonna call them the magic moments. Like what are the handful of these places that you visited? So usually what happens is I'll get fascinated by a topic in a book or a site in a book or where something happened. And then because I love to travel, that's where I wanna go. And what I do is to help make this happen more often, I use Google Maps and I star an item or a place on Google Maps. And when I happen to be in Philadelphia, for example, then I can see on the Google Maps of all the places where I want to visit and make sure I don't miss when I, when I happen to be out there. And so, but sometimes it'll happen completely by surprise and the other way around. So <laughs> I'll give you an example of surprise. I was in Boston several years ago, did the Freedom Trail, which I highly recommend. The last stop being the USS Constitution, which I didn't know anything about. I didn't even know it existed. If you don't know, it's a frigate. It's a huge sailing warship built and launched in 1797 by the United States Navy when John Adams was president. And it's hard to believe it still exists. It seems impossible to me almost. And you can walk around on it, everywhere on it, and there's a whole museum about it right on the dock there in Boston. And then 2020, I was reading The Pirate Coast by Richard Zacks about the Tripoli War in 1805 and 1806. And highly recommend that one. It's a real life spy thriller involving Thomas Jefferson, the first Marines, and, and the secret mission to Tripoli. The story is so compelling that, honestly, I tell you, the best screenwriter couldn't have come up with it what a hero William Eaton was, and I'd never even heard of him at all. So the American frigates, including the USS Constitution and the others, were in the Mediterranean during that war with Tripoli and during Eaton's clandestine operations. And it, with emphasis on all these things that happened on the deck of the USS Constitution, and as I'm reading this, I'm just struck because I've stood on the deck of the USS Constitution when I was in Boston. And to know all these things happened on the deck of that ship that I stood on just made a connection to our past that went straight up to me. Most of the time, though, 
And I do recommend it to be this way. I visit a site after reading about it, after knowing the story of it. It seems more meaningful that way. So having read John Adams by David McCullough, which I mentioned relates pretty much the whole story of the Continental Congress, basically every detail recorded, almost like you're a fly on the wall. And everything from naming Washington as commander-in-chief, all the steps towards independence, including Caesar Rodney walking in with spurs on just in time for the vote for independence, all that stuff. And then being able to go to visit Independence Hall and Congress Hall last summer in 2021 and really being there in the same room where all those things happened with the same feel, walking the same floor that they did was pretty incredible. Yeah, our country changed as a whole on those exact floors that you're walking on right there. Everything changed. Exactly. And also realizing, as David McCullough says in 1776, we hadn't won the war. The Declaration of Independence would have meant nothing more than words on a page. True. So I also took the time to go to some of the Revolutionary War sites in the area. So Washington Crossing, I had no idea that's a place you can visit still. It's on either side of the Delaware River. There's a site in Washington Crossing State Park in Pennsylvania. New Jersey has a site as well. After hearing about that my whole life and seeing the painting everywhere and having read the astounding account in McCullough's 1776, it just it held tenfold the meaning, having bore witness to it in a sense from reading the book and to be there and to walk around where it really happened versus if I hadn't read it. And it just, it was a special moment. Also visited Monmouth Battlefield on that trip, Princeton Battlefield. And my only regret is 1776 ends at the the end of the year, the book does. So a great sequel to that, Winning Independence by John Furling, which covers that, but mostly focuses on the second half after 1776. So I have a hungry mind. I do feel more complete and having an understanding of something, whether it's a history, you know, it's a history episode or it's how something works, you know, physically, it just, it's more satisfying, but just knowing the story of the revolutionary war and especially as an American or, and someone who in college studied and looked up to the ideals and the enlightenment and who looked up to those ideas and the men that made them reality here. Another one of those magic moments. I want to pause you actually for a second of, yeah. You know that they actually every year do the crossing of the Delaware, mm. reenacting it, and you can go Where's and actually day? see it. Yeah, it's so cool. They didn't get to do it this year. Hmm. They didn't get to do it this year. It was too cold, too frigid, and they oh, couldn't do it. Was it was like zero degrees yeah. now. I just, I just had to share that. That was because, again, it's something's happening right now, and you can do it every year to go and visit that. Yeah. So, yeah. And they do a reenactment at Monmouth every June, whatever the day was. And you can bring a lawn chair and sit, and they do a reenactment of the battle. Yeah, they do that with a lot of, in the South and the North, from the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, and you could be able to see that. And that's, again, something fascinating of those people that are doing that are not, they're, they've learned it, they've, they've experienced it, and they go into that theme of actually letting you feel like you're there. It's same within Gettysburg and going to Williams, Williamstown and a couple other different places around the United States that they 
it helps you reconnect in some way. Yeah, so, those would be neat to attend the the crossing and the reenactments. Those would be neat. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you there. I just like because we were on that topic, and I was like, yeah. I need just to kind of say that real quick, and that that's dive back into that aha moment because everything has that kind of out of body uh, religious experience kind of in a way that that collects that magical moment as you used earlier. Can you paint us like a little bit of an, a picture of an event that you experienced a moment like this with? Yes. So my, my roommate in college was a huge sports fanatic and I, I really, really never was. He went to Rome and turned the corner down the street and saw the Colosseum at the end of the road. And he said he just cried. That was what he told me when I was planning a trip to Italy. The Colosseum didn't do it for me, but Florence did. I got to Florence with my wife and after hearing about it all my life and all the, the greats that came from there, I got to Florence with my wife and was sick as a dog throwing oh no. up. Oh no. And I don't I thought it was the water at the time, but it probably wasn't. I was really weak and wasn't much up for doing hardly anything, but I wanted to get out of our Airbnb or I mean our, our B and B in room. And we we did. I remember sitting on the curb down the street that morning looking around me. I was just so overcome with being there and where I was, I just cried. Realizing I'm there and this is where it all happened in the homeland of Galileo, the birthplace of the Renaissance. Yes. Leonardo da Vinci, America, Ves America Vespucci, Dante, Petrarch, just in countless others who completely changed the world. It, it was a, I'd heard about from my dad the whole lot, my whole life and looked up to my whole life. It was just a very emotional moment. And I remember the next day when I felt better walking around outside the Uffizi gallery, standing underneath all the statues of the, the world shakers that came from Florence, all from Florence. And there's so many, there's 28 statues in all. Wow. And they're almost all household names. And it's neat to think that these are thousand to 2000 years old. And that's something that our country is so young and still so fresh. Like we're a baby like country. We're still very new and still very young into it. And you see these ideas that are thousand plus years old and you go, wow. This is still here. It's still standing in those events. Like I had one of my aha moments, I will say for sure, is Memphis, Tennessee. I, I love music. love kind of that, that realm of it. I went to Sun Records, the old building that they were able to preserve and keep in place. And they have the markings and a lot of the equipment and stuff there from when Carl Perkins, Johnny mm. Cash, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis were recording mm. there. And they have... The microphone, one of the three microphones that are left that they were able to confirm that was recorded, all three, no, all four of these individuals used, especially when they did the, the million dollar record of the million dollar quartet. And you can hold it, you can stand there, you can feel it. And I was like, I'm standing in history. I'm holding this <laughs> microphone for musicians that I've listened to my entire life. Yeah. It's, that's, that's it, right? Exactly. There. That's it. That is. Oh, an aha moment there and you going to Florence gives you that whole entire realm here was there another one that that pops in your mind yeah I remember physical object even that well here's here's another unique one my my great-grandfather on my dad's side went by the nickname Dewey all his life because he was born in 1898 when Admiral Dewey demolished the Spanish fleet in Manila Bay during the Spanish-American War so while planning this trip to Philadelphia last summer I discovered 
Dewey's battleship still exists. Wow. From 1898. It was built a couple years before that. And not only that, you can tour it. You can walk around on the whole thing yourself and everywhere. It's completely open. It's owned by the Independent Seaport Museum. It's another thing. I had no idea that existed, let alone how something so old is still around. That's true. Thinking how we're able to preserve something in history is so enticing. Of You could go over to England, Ireland, Germany, and France and see houses that are like 400, 500 years yeah. old. And you go, there's no way that house is 400 years old. There's no way. But the country as a whole has made rules to preserve some of these houses mm. and to kind of put it in place in order to make sure that these things can last the next generation. And there's people that are, that families that have passed down this house for generations, oh generations, generations. And then when it's sold, someone else discovers, wait a second, this, belo- this, this belonged to so-and-so, like, and there's this weird artifact that was under the house or something like that. And whenever they go to build a new building or go to build something along those lines, this building, we'll go in a hole. They have to do a architectural findings before they can build there just to make sure that it is, you're not destroying a piece of history. And I'm not trying to talk mean or anything negative about the United States at the time, but we cut over and destroy so many things constantly. This past two years since the pandemic, there was three buildings in my county that they were just demolished. They were just mm. gone and they were pillars of the community for decades and decades and had sat there and yes they were rotten and they were falling down but maybe you could have taken that wood and used it for something on that same site location if you're building a building or you can maybe be able to put like a landmark there but once it's gone it's gone mm-hmm. like you can't get it back and i took bricks from each one of these buildings and have them in my backyard making a flower bed a fire pit and a couple other things and i feel like that's something that as a country in the united states we can do better about yeah. I think we really could cuz you mentioned like the Roman Forum at one point. Yes. That it is thing is 2000 plus years old. <laughs> yes, I, I didn't know. Of course everybody knows the Colosseum is there and a few other things, but I, the Roman Forum somehow had escaped me until was planning to go there. So, yeah, there's a lot of things there. It's essentially the center of the city of Rome for the ancient Romans if you're if you're not aware. And you can walk through it, you know, a couple centuries ago, it was covered in sand, you know, way up, but they've excavated it. You can walk around it. And there's so many buildings there that are that are from ancient Rome that are gargantuan. One standing in front of this Roman Senate building in the Roman Forum, something I didn't even know existed and seemed impossible that it still exists. It's two, over 2,000 years old, not just from a few centuries ago, but multiple millennia ago. It just blew my mind how something still exists and how I'm looking at it, and yet there it was. How could something like that still be here? Yet it's also significant. Walking into the Parthenon, same thing, just like the ancients did. And also another one, walking around an ancient Roman town, Pompeii, just like the Romans did, and I didn't realize, you didn't think about it at least, it's a whole town. It's the size of a town. Yes, it and is. And you can walk around it. They have their sporting coliseum there and everything there. And you can walk around on the same stones that they did. It still has worn in grooves from where the carts were rolling. 
the doors, every, I mean, the doors were remade, but other than that, everything is just as it was. It, that blew my mind too. So it's just another one of those things you thought you'd never do and you didn't even think you possibly could do. And that's available throughout. You've learned more about that as you read and you experience it and you appreciate it kind of in a different way whenever you've actually spent a little bit of time with it and, yes. and the text. And when you're there, there, yeah, there's tour guides and yeah, there are people that are walking around that can be able to give you that information. But sometimes being able to know what questions to ask because your curiosity that you want to know about makes it easier to strike up a conversation with, say, a local or the guy who's giving the tour guide because yes. he just may have something in general that he's over. Just I say this 30 times a day over and over and over again. But that guy knows a lot. I'm sure that guy yes. studied this and he goes, why does no one ask this question or why does no one put this in here? And if you're at the end of the tour and all of a sudden you go, so, well, what about blah, 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 blah. And the, and the guy's just mind blows up. That's the joy of learning from friends is I love hearing like your voice, anyone's guest voice whenever I hit a question or hit something that enjoys it, that entices them, enjoys them, makes them happy. And like right now you have a big smile on your face. It's, it's, it's fun to kind of see that. And you get that from history because you read about it. You looked at it. You're curious about it. Yeah. The f next time you, before you go to your next site, whatever it is, do a little homework and read up on it before you go. It'll make it more meaningful to you in addition to being able to ask intelligent questions as well. That's very, it's oh, so true. Oh yeah, here's another one. This is something at physical I've actually been able to hold in my hand and now own. Knowing I've been interested in watches, my mother had fully serviced and patched, passed down to me my great-great-grandfather's pocket watch made in 1896, which I looked up based on the serial number. So it, it has his initials engraved in the back of the case, holding it in my hand and watching it ticking away, it seemed impossible to me. How could something that old still like that still be here and yet still work? It just working just like it did in the 19th century and, and just holding that in the palm of my hand blew me away. It, it was just staggering how astoundingly intricate a mechanical watch is and that it was, it was able to be invented by them back then and built by with parts so tiny and they did this all back in the 19th century even more impressive watch movements were really the same clear back to 1750 or so so uh, just to think my grand great great grandfather probably watched the minute hand past the 12 when the century changed over on new year's eve in wow. 1900 yeah. and looking at the same dial that i am today holding it in the same hand and like yes has, has that ever got you curious in genealogy of your family Yes, it did. And my father has always told me his side of the family. I've known about that since I was little. My mother never really knew much about her side. And so that got me curious because I, she only knew my great grandparents and that was as far back as she knew. So the watch belonged to somebody who I didn't even know his name until I was given the watch. And then to learn about where he fit in the family tree, to learn his name, Ralph Clinton Watts, it filled in a line on my mental family tree where before it was just fog. So I borrowed the family ancestry box my grandmother had compiled years ago. And I'm starting to go back, you know, from there. And I'm filling in other names and other faces from all the photos and everything on my mom's side. It's been fascinating to do as an adult because I learned about my dad's side when I was a tiny kid. But now learning about my mom's, you know, ancestry as an adult and knowing the history and knowing what these folks lived through. 
For example, my great, great, great grandfather fought in the Civil War in the Battle of Nashville. He was an Ohio regiment, and I had no idea of this. It, if I had known this when I learned about the Civil War in school years ago, <laughs> it would have been a little more yeah, interesting. You would have connected to it a lot more, yeah. Exactly. It would have been more meaningful. And I had a great-grandfather that flew a biplane in the First World War. Uh, wow. He was in pilot training, and I was shocked to read this, to hear this, but my great-aunt confirmed it's true. I'd always heard we were somehow related to George Washington on that side, but it, it was all but myth in my head, never understood how that could be. And then I find a note in my grandmother's handwriting this summer that explains Inez Watts, who's the wife of the the, the man that owned the pocket watch. Her great-great-grandmother, Mary McKee, was the second cousin of George Washington. <laughs> so it means they shared great-grandparents in common. So that solved the mystery I've wondered about my whole life. And I would encourage your listeners to delve into this as well and Talk to your parents, grandparents, and relatives and document yes. what you know because yes. what seems obvious now will possibly not be knowable at all to your great-grandkids unless you document it. And, you know, write stuff on the back of photos, document things. And just as a historian, that always drives me crazy when there's photos, but you have no idea what it is, yeah, who they are, what year it was, where it was. <laughs> document things. Yeah, all it took for that was one piece of paper to be able to explain that relation to George Washington for you. Yeah. That's one piece of paper. And that's probably all that's left. Yeah. And that that's extremely fascinating when you think about that. And that's history right there. Every little piece of paper kind of has a history to it. Because you could look at, I know this is going to sound really random, but a report card. We'll just go with that. We'll go with a report card. A's, B's, A's, B's, C's, F, 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 A, B. What happened in that year that made them kind of drop a little bit, per se? And mm-hmm. who knows what that could have been, but there was a, it was a change in a trend for a second. And that could change that person's entire life where something was at, and then they jump back up. That's a moment in time maybe to look at. I don't know. That's just something yeah. that pops up to me. That's right. Yeah, seeing that, I would, it would make me wonder what happened. Unless somebody documented or unless you've got an ancestor that's still alive, there's probably no way to know. Yeah, exactly. As you get older, I whenever I was... Probably in my late teens, I started to listen more to my elders and, and them telling stories. I've always enjoyed listening to stories and hearing that. And I've started kind of collecting and putting things down. I have recordings of family members and kind of like, I don't like to write things down too much, but I love to sit there and record like we're doing this podcast right now of physically just hearing mm-hmm. their voice. It's nice. Yeah. It's so cool to be able to have that. That is a really neat thought. Yeah. And hearing the, getting those little stories of someone trying to write something down they may not want to write that long, but if they're talking to you, mm-hmm. they're going to go a little bit more in detail. They're kind of going to go on that stuff. And that's why I love StoryCorps and things like yes, that that's out I there. Heard of that. Big fan of StoryCorps and things like that that are out there for people to record. And that's why I love we record archives of like radio stations. They have the archives and mm-hmm. we have the National Archives that has done all the speeches that are out there. Like listening to Winston Churchill. Oh my yeah. word. That guy is just one of the greatest orators of all time. And but it's, it's another way of learning that may, mm-hmm. kin, there's kinesthetic, there's the physical learning of writing it by hand, there's listening to it auditorial. It's just different styles of learning that's out there. It's so, so fun to kind of think about that. And that connected that physical watch and, learn, and hearing that story about somebody got you to look at another area of history there that perhaps you never would have. 
Yep. And you found that piece of paper. Yeah. And there's even more in there. And I, I've only barely scratched the surface. There's a lot more to discover. Hundreds and thousands of years <laughs> that are out there. Who knows what's next? So besides reading history, what are some things that you're reading, maybe nonfiction, that has some interest to you? Because really when you're reading nonfiction, you could be really getting, you're getting the history event there. But actually when you're reading fiction, you're actually, they may be telling a, a fictitious story, but there may be words they use in Old English that we don't use today. Or maybe there is, we think about, you know, having technology at our hands and grasping it so easily. They didn't have that. So you have to use, oh, he picks up the telephone and rings his neighbor or has to call a, a line, a landline, not a landline, but phone operator that switches him to the next thing. You don't think about that, but that's something that's happening around them. Yes, I find that in reading classic fiction. Uh, for example, Washington Irving, one of my favorite authors to read for fiction, in his book, Tales of a Traveler, there's a short story of the devil and Tom Walker. And he begins a paragraph by saying, one hot summer afternoon in the dog days, and he goes on to say something that happens. And I paused there and I was like, wait a minute, he seems to be implying that the dog days meant something specific to him and other people back in 1824. It meant nothing to me. Well, indeed it does. It refers to the heliacal rising of Sirius, the star, and dates back to the ancient world. So it, it just was fascinating to me because the ancient Greeks and Romans believed that Sirius, the star rising behind the sun the more, where the sun rose, caused the extreme heat of summer and the droughts, fevers, mad dog attacks and all that. So uh, there's lots of things, especially in Washington Irving. I notice a lot of those, uh, he'll mention things in passing. So that's fascinating to listen to and read. Some of the other classic fiction, Sherlock Holmes by Conan Doyle, the original ones. I really like those. They're a great way to de-stress and escape the modern world. And they're, they're also a good intellectual challenge, too, to try to solve the case before it gets <laughs> to the end. Those stories are read just as much today for their just taking you back to Victorian Britain as much as they are for the mysteries. True. I love listening to Agatha, reading Agatha Christie. It's a big one for yes. trying to solve hers. Oh, so hard. Yes, and those are even more challenging yeah, to solve are. before the end. Katie has gotten me into those in the last couple of years, and I've read three now, and I mean, almost impossible to solve on my perspective. Yep. The Sherlock Holmes, you actually have a chance at solving before the end. But yeah, those are really good too. Those are great. Some of the other ones that I've read more recently, not necessarily in the world of, of they're a little more nonfiction. The Writing of the Gods, The Race of the Code, The Rosetta Stone came out this year. It's one of my favorite books I've read recently. It's the most, one of the most exciting books I've read recently. It's really an adventure. It's, it takes you back to ancient Egypt and the two competing geniuses that did decode the Rosetta Stone. Another one that this book references is decoding ancient cuneiform from the Mesopotamian world, which is far older. It looks like if a bunch of birds walked over wet clay with their feet, all the little triangle-like type shapes, that's what it looks like. How to decode that? Yeah. You don't even Ooh. know what any of the syllables sound like or anything. And so the bunch of those clay tablets were sitting in the British Museum. Nobody knew what any of it meant. And then a man named George Smith walked in to the British Museum to look at them during his lunch breaks. And he would look at the tablets and decoded the cuneiform. 
He had an eighth grade education and was able to decode that and found a flood story older than the one in the Bible. So that just blew me away. I find those interesting. Other books I've read that are that I highly recommend to your listeners, Napoleon Hill's 1937, Think and Grow Rich. Yes. Love that book. One of, they've sold 70 million copies for a reason. It's like the 13th highest selling book in history for a reason, but not as well known today among younger folks. Dr. Tom Stanley's Millionaire Next Door, those two, Think and Grow Rich and Millionaire Next Door, Great financial lessons, but great life lessons in general. Yeah, the two most impactful books I've ever read. Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover would be up there as well, I have to say. But I've read a lot, so it's a great it's a great hobby to get into. And you have a list of books that you are wanting to kind of go through, as you mentioned earlier. You have your list, and you just kind of go down the line and check it off and go through. I'm going to go ahead and apologize here, Derek. I, I, something I just have to do real quick, being a history teacher and... I have these little checklists that I like to kind of be able to go to in order to give you like a full idea whenever you're looking at an event or looking at a person in history. So I'm going to explain this little checklist here real quick with a, a question and then kind of like a response that kind of connects into it of what that question fully kind of means here in order to complete your historical learning. So for my students that are listening, I'm sorry for this little rant here, but I feel like it's so very important for anybody to have this. The first thing that I say is look at the who. I mean, like, who was involved in this? How many people? What about the person from up north or someone down south? If you're looking about Civil War, who supported it? Who was against it? Because there's always going to be this multiple sides there, as my students know, that I like to say is there are three sides to a coin because you have heads, tails, and you have that kind of middle line that pops up there. And that middle line is someone that may not be of have any connection to it at all. And they're kind of a pain that pops up. The when and the where, that's the next section. Like when and where did it happen? Where did it begin? Where did it end? Where was the greatest impact on it? Did the biggest impact come years later? Did it happen weeks later from that impact? Where did it kind of go from there in terms of its its impact? You can look at the Boston Tea Party. Really, the big impact came decade plus later of the true impact for it. Then you have the what. What happened at that time? What was happening around that event that led to it happening? What was that cause of that event that led to that happening? What were the effects of it afterwards, of the repercussions that took place over the long time? It could be a repercussion to a person that could lead to a later individual down the line doing something else that had to start there. Why? Why was this significant? Why was this maybe controversial? Why was this accepted by everyone? Why is it still relevant today? Why was it relevant at that time? And the last one is like, how? How was this significant to other events? Did it lead to another one down the line? How is it different from that event that may have happened before it or what happened later? And then how was it connected to broader patterns? What I mean broader patterns is did this person influence another individual down the line and they took their ideology? You can look at the Dalai Lama and then you can look at how Martin Luther King Jr. did things. You can connect other individuals within music. Say, look at Jimi Hendrix, which then influenced Jimmy Page, which that led to all these other guitars down the line. There's All of these questions really help connect history together. And when you're reading a book, it can open up so many more doors so sorry about that side little tangent there, Derek. It was just one of those ones that I, 
I felt like I needed to do in order to explain a little bit of where we kind of are in the podcast. And the second line that I tell my students is whenever you're reading or learning about something, just because it's different doesn't always mean it's wrong. So think about that, especially when you're looking at religion. That's the big one. When you look at religion is we don't just, in the United States, being a heavy Christian-based, we think about negatively towards other things that are not familiar with us, or we make associations to other religions that may not even be true because we look at stereotypes. So just something to think about there. Sorry, we'll dive back in here. We'll get back into the different points of, of history, but I'm going to try to transition it back to what do you find that are some misconceptions that people have about history as a whole that you've noticed or experienced? I think that because photos, a lot of them at least are in black and white or might be blurry, that they were some, the people were somehow different than we are today. But they weren't. They were just like us. They loved their children just like we do. They had mothers, fathers, and families, and dreams, and really most everything just like we do. Look up some of the photos of the 19th century and before in color online. It'll Ooh. change your perspective. Cool. It will stop you in your tracks. Another misconception, I think, is that we look back on history knowing what happened next, knowing how it turned out, but they did not. They lived in the present just like you and I do right now and had no way of knowing how it would turn out. That's true. Down the line of what may have been an accidental thing in history, like with Edison on a lot of his findings of who knew what it would turn into eventually LED lights and all these other formats that we look at here and how he invented uh, whenever he was doing movies and how the movie eventually now turned into a streaming service that we now watch yeah. at home and the telephone with Graham Bell when he was inventing the telephone. Who knew that we would have yeah. in our hands a computer that can show us the world? And yeah, it's, it's just so crazy. Now, how do you approach your learning and researching a topic because there's a lot of ways out there. You, you did mention some things earlier, but I kind of wanted to let you elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, so I, as far as topics, I like to explore, like you mentioned, I keep a list of specific books I, on my to-read list, but also I don't a topic that I want to learn more about. For example, one of the ones upcoming, I want to learn this, the whole story of the Continental or, or the uh, Constitutional Convention and the, everything that happened in the story behind that. And uh, so if I don't know of a specific book, I'll just put that on there. It's mostly books I don't find too fascinating to read a lot of articles online, but uh, either way, credible sources of information versus non-credible sources are, are very important. I heavily utilize the library. It's usually my, my first source. Is they have most of the things I'm looking for. And if you don't have much free time, use audiobooks, as we kind of hinted to earlier. Anytime you're doing mindless activities like mowing the lawn or washing the car, you can go on an adventure and <laughs> get the right book. Or, or driving, as you mentioned, or even going on True. a walk. Yeah. So that's, that's usually how I do that. And yeah, one topic will lead to two or three others. One book will yes, lead to two will. or three others to yep. read. So it's really an endless path, which is one of the great things about it. You find one name that you think was the answer to something. Like I learned 
yesterday when I was walking around the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that Pearl Jam's original name was Mookie Blaylock because mm. they were fans of the basketball player Mookie Blaylock. And for a little while, what they did is they handed out passes, backstage passes that were actually Mookie Blaylock cards. Huh. And they wrote something on it so that you would know. So something that I did not know. I was like, that's really random. And that led me down. A, it's leading me to a whole other perspective. But <laughs> wait a second. Was the, what were some of the other original names of bands that kind of got them there. I would have never thought that Eddie Vedder and them were liked basketball in the beginning. So yeah, yeah. you never can tell when it comes to that. And I, I love that of saying that any point, like you mentioned with work, sitting on the couch or mowing the lawn or walking on someone, you can have something in your ears. You can be learning at that time. So and true. it makes it less monotonous too. That is very true. Making it less monotonous. And you have to worry. The challenge right now is there's so much media and stuff out there. And so much like people like look at TikTok or other social medias out there and they think that that is the only answer, that that's what somebody said, their opinions there. And you're like, wait a second. No, there's, there's more to that story that that person didn't, they didn't have the right resource. They didn't have the right thing. And so it becomes a, you get lost or you get confused or sent down the wrong path. So always check to see where your source is coming from and how that can be able to make sure they're credible enough to give that yes. right answer. Credible sources of information. But also, there's especially with social media, there's so much content out yes. there now. But a lot of it's just so thin. I don't find it enjoy as enjoyable use of my time. So yeah. I've become intentional about my time. That's been a game changer for me. We well, have two kids. That makes it very. You have to be intentional. <laughs> I think it would be a, a game changer for anybody because so much of the time, the, the it'll social media and all that stuff will suck up your time but what do you really want to be doing right now yeah. I, I almost wonder with tv and now social media what what great authors do we not have right now because oh, they spent so their whole time watching more streaming services instead of doing what they really wanted to do with their life or just continue down the bottomless pit of social media yeah i'm i'm definitely guilty of binge watching like stranger things and a couple other tv shows and they come out and i lose a day or two days of my life. <laughs> so I think we all are. And that's the hard part is being intentionally aware of it and trying to change it. Like habits are so hard. Be intentional. Yep. Being intentional. We'll be here now as one, a book that I'm reading by Ram Das right now. That's, it's hard. So you mentioned about a couple of topics that you're looking at that you create a list and you have two lists that you work off of. And that's good to know where your next direction is. I like that you have that. You have your two list that you build them. That's really cool to be able to do that. I recommend that to anybody. I, I keep a, on my wristband, I have a wristband that's the old snap it mm -hmm. wristbands. I have where I have a list and I could be able to write down what I need to do next. Cause at some <laughs> point you get sidetracked or you not remember where it was and you having those lists, you go, oh, this is what I was gonna read. Something else I wanna read. So what I'm looking for something, oh, there's something I can be able to read. So I love that idea. I love that. Now that's, that's do some time traveling here. I want us to go back in time and I want us to think about if you had a time machine and you were able to go places and you're able to do something, if you could travel to any point in time, when and where would it be? That's a really hard question for me, but my the answer that jumps out at me, I've uh, always been interested in the Enlightenment era, American Revolution era. If I could spend a couple weeks, I'd say New England, maybe Boston. And also the ancient world, so specifically ancient Mesopotamia, ancient Egypt, or even the classical antiquity, Greece and Rome. 
as well. That's it's hard to choose, but if I had to, those would be my top two. That is so hard. I will say right now because I'm reading a little bit into the Mississippi Delta. I would love to go back from the 20s to the 40s and travel around the Mississippi Delta in area and listen to those blues artists. We were talking about Robert Johnson yeah. earlier, and I would love to go to New York City in the 1970s and seeing that transition into punk rock and then in the 80s, how it kind of blossomed, because that's just music for me. I love music. That's a kind of a passion for me. If I could live for little bits of time just to kind of see what it was in that, that time period and having authors that write about it makes a huge difference because I can be able to see it and I can still travel to these places that are there. One of these days I do want to do the blues uh, driving there, there's a specific name for it, but you're driving all the way down through Alabama, all the way over to Mississippi, hmm. Arkansas, and then driving up towards Chicago. And there's some of these sites that are still there that are haven't been destroyed or that's all that's left in the town. Because a lot of these areas were extremely run down, poor areas. That's just hmm. what it was. And that's how part of the blues comes out because of it's yeah. a lot of that, that sad story. Next one. You have your time traveling machine still. You're able to, we're going to reference here to the 1980s film with Keanu Reeves. What was the name of that film? Where they went around and collected people for their history project. Oh, it's going to kill me. Popular <laughs> culture here. Um, I something Great Adventure. Something knowledge. Great Adventure. Uh, Bill and Ted's Great Adventure. There we go. Excellent Adventure. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. What they did is they went around and they grabbed people from for their history project. And they brought all these people in and, hmm. and made this giant rock opera and collection of these people to pass history class. You are going around and you're going to collect these people for a dinner party. Who would you want to have at your dinner party for like a, a, just a fun evening? I feel like I probably have a better answer to this. I thought I had more forethought, but some that jumped to mind, Mozart, Haydn, John Adams, Gandhi, Galileo, which by the way, I have to say on the Galileo topic, it was in the news a couple, just like two months ago, I think in November, that Jupiter was exceptionally close to Earth. And it was a good little excuse. I got the, my little telescope out with the kids and saw the moons of Jupiter for the very first time. Wow, yeah. I was surprised. I thought that was so cool. I can't imagine what Galileo must have thought. But another thought since I've been on the topic of family ancestry is uh, my ancestors, who I've learned about but never got a chance to meet. And I think it would be super cool to have a conversation with them. Although, I highly recommend the book, The Writing of the Gods and the, the Rosetta Stone book, because it mentions there's that you almost can, because there's a temple inscription from ancient Egypt that thanks the gods for creating writing and therefore causing memory to begin. And thanks to this divine gift, quote, the heir speaks with his forefathers. Unquote. Ooh, love that. So That's magical. Yeah, it's, it's given me more impetus to, nobody keeps a diary now, but maybe I should keep a journal or something like that and document some things so that future generations, when folks are looking back at me, they can to be able to know what yeah be able to know a little bit about me i have an app that's dailyo that i just i write down a couple things every day and i'm now on i 
think it's 1,800 and something days that I've, I've wow. continually wrote one, even maybe like five or 10 sentences or maybe one sentence. It's just something that I write. What happened that day? And <laughs> I can do it voice to text, which say, so it's, yeah. I, I'm, it's text. I'm, I'm writing something out as I'm maybe driving and I just click it and, and it just goes and I have to go back and edit it later, but it's rather than <laughs> having to sit and type it out or write it. Yeah. It may sound like chicken scratch whenever you not sound like, but reads like chicken scratch or fourth grader, but that's kind of the way I like to talk and kind of go there. <laughs> so that's, I love that. I've asked the question a couple times and to other guests and no one has used that idea of saying that ancestors, that the hmm. people of their own family, that is awesome. That is <laughs> well, really cool. You. I love that thought process here. Now we're going to start winding down here because we're, we're coming up to a little past an hour kind of range. And we all I like to cut my hours, my episodes off around hour and 15 kind of range. So as we start to run down, what are some advice that you would give someone who's wanting to adventure into this world of history? Well, George R. R. Martin said, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. And I find that to be very, very true. But also travel to the sites that interest you, find books on topics that interest you. For me, there's nothing like it and get out Get out and explore. Yeah, because of relive walking the steps of those before you, kind of in a way. Yes, and if you can't travel due to whatever reason, so many institutions such as museums, historical sites, have virtual tours yes. now. And there's really yes. almost no excuse. You can participate in that, and it is going to be fascinating. You can do that all straight from your armchair. Yep, it's true. And there's such great now documentaries out there that you can be able to watch as well instead of yes. going through all this stuff that we have out there of TV shows and you could watch a documentary about something or someone could take a historical nonfiction and turn it into a little bit of fiction to it, but it may connect you in in some way. Because a lot of directors will do a lot of good references into if they're doing a fiction movie, they'll take a lot of information from the nonfiction to make it tie into the story a little bit it is very neat for you know someone as a historian to see history come alive there i don't watch much tv but there's a few turn on amc vikings that are in rome hbo spartacus those that are that really did a good job that are neat to see come alive it's true it is true and that's a good positive thing just to kind of have that's out there now at our fingertips that was not there less than, you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> right. You did have some TV shows, but nothing at the level we have today. Holy moly. It's crazy to see it come alive. Yeah. Technology is so fastly growing. I remember when Ancestry.com came out and it was so small and you only got so much. And now it's massive of mm-hmm. what people have uploaded and what stuff has kind of gone through. And it's it hints how much genealogy can be done in a short period of time too to at least get you started or get you moving in a direction or fill in gaps that maybe someone else has already done you don't know yeah so. that's one of the next frontiers for me is is on there I haven't got on yet but i'm going to but you've connected a lot of pieces already to you that may be able yeah. to lead you another direction that's the big thing is finding what direction to go that's always a yep. hard part now do you have any last minute things that perhaps we haven't discussed that you would like to share with us well, just like I said, the USS Constitution, I had no idea it still existed, or the Roman Senate building, or all the others that I 
uh, didn't even talk about. I can't wait to discover what else is out there still that you can uh, see and explore and I have no idea about yet. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. That's the thing. The, the possibilities are endless when it comes to the future and spend that time. You know, ask questions. Follow your passions. Follow your passions. That is our takeaway for today. Follow your passions. And thank you for your time, Derek. Like this means a lot that we got to sit down and do this as your wife and my wife and one of their close friends from childhood took your kids down to the zoo, the, uh, the Columbus Zoo, while we could sit here at your table and be able to record this on New Year's Eve of 2022 going to 2023. So and it may be March, April by the time this episode comes out, but that's okay. This is cool. This is documenting a little piece of history here. Yeah, so. I'm, I can't wait for it. I'm honored anytime. <laughs> so as we're winding down and coming to an end here, I'm going to give you what I give my students in class reminder that I said earlier of two things I hope you remember when looking at history. Just because it's different doesn't always mean it's wrong when you're learning about any just general topic. And there are three sides to a coin. Very just kind of important things that my life lessons when I teach my kids of, if you remember those two things when you leave my classroom, you're good. Anything else, I'm, it's, it's icing on the cake, a little bit extra. If you want to reach out to Derek and learn a little bit more maybe about what he has, email me and I'll be able to kind of connect you together to be able to do that just because I want to respect his privacy and I'll arrange for it. My email that you can reach out to me at is Cade, which is spelled C-A-D-E at learningfromfriends.com as the podcast is spelled. You can find me on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I do have a Patreon page if you would like to donate a little bit of money just to the cause in general. I, I have fees that I I, would, I I do it for fun. It's a blast for me. It's one of those ones that I'm not going to turn down a dollar or two here and there, especially as a teacher. So yeah, I love that. Share with your friends. Share with a neighbor. Share with a just kind of in passing post it up on social media. And who knows where this stuff can kind of go. And thank you in advance. That's the one thing at the end of the day, you've made it, who knows how long you've been listening. If you have, if this is new to you, go back and listen to some previous episodes. If you like it, be able to kind of continue listening. Maybe you'll find something that enjoys you. That's learning from friends is for me, I'm learning from my friends and their joys and their passions because they're teaching me something while teaching you something at the same time. And when you ask the right question or you hit on a point that's really passion to them, their whole demeanor, their voice, their posture, everything changes and it just opens up new doors. So, and as those that have been listening before know how I end up my episodes, my name is Kay Curtis, your tour guide on this lovely episode and podcast that I like to call Learning From Friends. And most of all, don't forget to let your curiosity fly high. Um, 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 um.